I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe back with you once again. Rob, what's up, man? Another month, Andrew, and it's a lot like the last month <laughs> and the month before that and the month before that. It I certainly we, is. You know, when this whole we're like the hamster on the wheel, we can't get off. We just keep going. When it started in March, you know, I. I knew this was going to be a long process. I guess I figured by July we would have some more answers than we have. Uh, we'd have some more things figured out than we do. And it just kind of, as you just said, it, it feels like we're kind of in the same spot. I mean, we know a little bit more. Uh, we have a little more information. We're we're moving forward with professional sports and things like that. We're we're trying to get you know the world kind of back on track and, and rolling again. But it still seems like we sit here less than two months now away from the the start of college football season and I don't know if there will be fans in the stadium I don't know if there will be games I don't know who those games will be against uh it's it's kind of amazing that we're four months almost four full months into this thing and still don't have all that many answers it's 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 pretty frustrating yeah and I think you know I go back to what Gary Bartas said I think it was in May but don't quote me on that because I don't even remember you know last week very well the uh the calendars become almost obsolete this year but um you know with him saying that you know and and Kirk Ferentz has said this too at the beginning of this thing these administrators and and coaches and and people that were involved NCAA they all had a lot of time to kind of sit down and meet and come up with models of what they could do and you know we were told that those models were a broad spectrum of ideas of how they could pull off in the fiscal year that begins July 1st 2020 and ends June 30th 2021 how they could fit all the sports in to um, best benefit athletic budgets and this is this is meaningful for because we saw I think it was Boise State has, has cut some programs some yes. other colleges have cut programs it's super important not just for the revenue sports but for all the sports and athletics department in these athletic departments to get these, revenue sports seasons played within this fiscal year and i'm just wondering how many models there are and what's on the table right now and how often that changes andrew with you know day-to-day um reports that we get on this virus and we saw you know we're recording this on uh 
on a Tuesday, but on Monday, Rutgers talked about going to mostly online classes, and then there's the question of will they play sports? There have been reports out there that several Big Ten teams may not participate in a football season if it happens in the fall. I don't envy these administrators. They've got to come up with a plan, and I would think they have to come up with it relatively soon. You can't wait till like a couple weeks before you're supposed to start the season on September 5th, and there are some teams, you know, some football programs that play the week before that. Um, you've got to start really digging in and coming up with, you know, concrete plans of how they're going to handle this. Yeah, decisions are going to have to be made even if you don't have all of the information, even if you're not 100% sure that that the decision is going to hold or, or it's something that you would have decided, you know, six weeks from now. As you said, especially if schools are going to not participate, uh, uh, that then that leaves other schools trying to figure out their schedule. And, uh, you know, we see in, in Major League Baseball this kind of regionalized schedule that they're doing to, to, to limit travel and uh, you know, is that something that college football? I assume it's. I assume everything at this point is still on the table. But as you just alluded to, Rob, uh, those you need to start culling that down a little bit and start eliminating some of those options and, and start to make some some decisions. And they're not going to be easy decisions, and they're certainly not going to be popular decisions one way or the other. Uh, but as we get closer to this thing, it just still feels like there's so much up in the air, and it's it's really just something that we, it can't continue like this. At some point. Decisions are going to have to be made because time keeps marching forward, man, and, and we're getting closer and closer to that, that opening kick. Um, and I, I think one important uh, thing to keep in mind here, too, Andrew, is you, you referenced pro sports. You've got Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, um, and then football, you know, NFL football planning, you know, putting together its plan. Those are all leagues those are all one league that can make overarching rules on how to handle this mm. with college football you have the NCAA who is the governing body but what type of control does that NCAA have over these individual particularly power 5 conferences who all seem to be out on their own making their own decisions here i just i'm really concerned on how college football is going to handle this as an entity yeah you know you can't just say okay or you can say but how logistical is it to say all right let's just stay in region you've got a big 10 conference now that spans all the way new jersey pennsylvania to Nebraska um, what do you play do you just play those conference games and then do you schedule non-conference games against Missouri Can I'm talking about from Iowa's perspective Missouri Kansas Kansas State um, I, I don't know what other schools you would include in that I've obviously Iowa State North Dakota for your non-conference State games do you go FCS schools yeah. like North Dakota State I mean it's just it, to me, it's really convoluted because there the NCAA doesn't have a whole lot of power in my in my opinion, and because the sport is so fragmented and regionalized around the country, and different regions are going to be dealing with this in, in right. different ways. You know, we're seeing right now uh, what's happening in Texas and in Florida is not what's happening, uh, at least not, not that extent here in Iowa or in other you know midwestern states or you know even some of the the northern states. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how different leagues, as you said, without a without a uh, you know an entity to make this decision, an entity to kind of sit on high and, and say this. 
this is how we are going to do this. And then, you know, each player can make up their their mind as to whether or not they want to enter into that or each team even, um, as we're seeing in pro leagues, you know, where players are deciding, hey, this is not uh, something I want to expose myself to. So I'm going to I'm going to sit this one out. What happens if an, enti- if an entire conference decides that? And we've seen that uh, not in a power fives uh league but the ivy league is essentially saying hey we're, we're planning to go spring football this year uh that right. again it's easy to sit here as a, a big 10 fan and say who cares what the ivy league does but what if uh the pac-12 decides to do that what if the sec or the acc decides to do that what if rutgers says they don't want to play in the fall uh, but iowa does H- how do you uh, figure those schedules out how do you name a national champion how do you do all of these things uh that we expect it's it's, it's kind of funny that I think one of the things that we're seeing with some of these pro leagues is like, we know it's going to be different, but we do expect certain things. We expect the NBA to name a champion. We expect there to be a World Series this fall. And we're going to expect college football, if it happens, to name a national champion. And right. if, if not every league is playing or if certain schools aren't playing or some decide to play in the spring and others in the fall, it's going to be really interesting to see how that, how that plays out. And if anybody... Um wants to dismiss the Ivy League as insignificant or not really, you know, representative of what's going on in college athletics. Remember that the Ivy League was the first conference to cancel its conference tournament, basketball tournament, and then also the first conference to cancel spring sports. So it's been out in front of this pretty much since day one as it as it pertains to college athletics. And you know, as we talked about, Andrew, the, the NBA is going to a bubble and the NHL is going to a bubble. You, you can't do that in college sports, college football. I mean, I guess you could, but who's going to organize that? Where, 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 I mean, where you play, how do you organize that? And one of the, I think what, to me, one of the biggest factors in college, you know, in, in looking at college football and the, you know, the odds that it's going to play a season, you're talking about 120 players on each team all doing their own thing. And, you know, we've seen it around the country in terms of, uh, you know, 4th of July and how different people are conducting themselves in different ways. So now you've got 120 players on 14 Big Ten teams all around the country doing different things. And handle. I'm not talking about in the football facilities, but when they're on their own. And I just I don't know how you manage that. It's 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 hard to see that being managed, and it's hard to see a football season if if it happens this fall that's not interrupted uh, in in several ways for several teams. Uh, it's hard to see Iowa getting through a twelve game schedule where uh, they have all their all their star players available, or even all their starters, or even you know bulks of position groups available for every game. It's hard to see uh, teams not having to forfeit because they have to quarantine you know X number of guys and and therefore can't field a team. You wonder what kind of mitigation uh, practices are going to be put in place within these programs. Are they going to start prohibiting uh, quarterbacks from hanging out with each other outside of uh, outside of the, the 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 facilities? Because hey, if you know if if quarterback one 
test positive, we can't have have him had been in the same room for hours on end with quarterbacks two and three because we need to field the team come Saturday. So it's, it's and were the you know was the quarterback coach in there? How about the yeah. offensive coordinator? Yeah, right, exactly. And you know the offensive line that they're dealing with, the center, <laughs> yeah. and you know, who, who are you know, what about the defensive line that that offensive line is going against in practice? And it's it's just hard to see this going smoothly at all if it goes. And and, and that's and another thing, Andrew, is as we talked about with Rutgers, I think the question is now if they're going to mostly online classes, can you justify having athletes on campus if it's not safe for the general? If it's you know it's determined not to be safe for the general student body, can you justify having athletes on campus? And can colleges take that risk? from a litigation standpoint if they move forward with something like that and you know we're still you know whatever this is july the 7th um and i know iowa's planning on going to in-person classes but what if it doesn't what if iowa state doesn't what if it gets bad enough in iowa that they go okay you know we were planning online on on the online classes starting uh, after Thanksgiving, but what if that has to be pushed up? What if it's in the middle of the season? Do you keep the football players and basketball players on campus when you're sending everybody else home? Um, to me, that's 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 going to be a tough sell. That really is, and it's yeah, is that responsible? And and then if you do that, how do you come out the other side and and say these are student athletes and that they're students right. first and they don't deserve to be paid? Uh, and and you know, it's it's. The money versus ethics that's going to happen over these next handful of months with with college sports, the the student athlete moniker, and and what what is the actual purpose of these guys? Is it to bring money into the into the university through through athletics? And if that's the case, that's something we just need to address, and then and then we have to handle everything quite differently. If they are student athletes, if that's truly what they are, and if if student comes before athlete. I, I don't see how you have them on campus if you can't have the other people on campus and and not seem super hypocritical. It just it's it's hard the the it just seems so irresponsible to even be having that conversation, right? Because uh, we had an infectious disease doctor on KXNO here in Des Moines a couple of weeks ago, and the way he likened it, and he's a, he said he's a big college football fan, he wants it to happen. He said, but to talk about that even right now is is kind of like being on that Titanic and asking about shuffleboard. You know, it's, it's and and then I thought then a, a Nationals player came out uh, the other day. I can't remember. Was it Doolittle who who was talking? Um, yeah. And and he said I, I thought he hit it really really well when he talked about having sports back is is a reward. It's it's what we earn from handling ourselves the right way as a society during this pandemic. And and up till now, for the most part, uh, we have not done that. And so we really haven't earned having sports back. And I think that's why we're seeing kind of these fits and starts and these hiccups and, you know, leagues, like, hey, we're going to get together. And then, oh, a bunch of people test positive. So we have to shut things down. Um, it's just like until we're all on the same page as a society with this, it's hard to imagine us getting on the same page to have any sort of a, of, of a college season. Yeah, and I saw, um, I think it was an Indians player, Cleveland Indians, and that's another whole conversation <laughs> right. um, that we're not going to get into on here because we're, I'm already fielding enough complaints about uh, you and I talking about politics. Right, but, how dare we? Um, Terry Francona manages Cleveland, right? Yes. So he had a player who decided that he was going to take part in one of these um, 4th of July 
parties uh, where there wasn't social distancing and masks and things like that. And the team had found out about it. And um, before he was allowed back into the clubhouse, he's got a quarantine. So that's just one example of one player mm. deciding to do something on his own, you know, outside of whatever the organization is that can put the whole organization at risk. If they had not found out about that and he had contracted it and brought it into the clubhouse, boom. So, again, I, I know I'm harping on that point. It's just for me, when you connect the dots about all of – 120 players kind of doing their own thing away from the football facilities. You know, what are the odds that somebody's not going to come into contact or do something, maybe through no fault of their own, that they're going to contract it and then maybe you have a outbreak or at least, you know, a number of players that could end up having to deal with this and then you're dealing with quarantine. And as you mentioned, Andrew, um, you know, uh, if it impacts an entire position group. And I think that one of the the – you know the 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 you know what I thought was an excellent point on your part, um, and I've thought about this a lot. Even if they, even if this football season kicks off and gets started, what are they ultimately playing for? If the odds of them getting through an entire season um, is low, you know what 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 are we hanging on to? What are yeah. we? What's the what are what are we headed towards? And I guess you could play four games in the fall and then continue the season in the spring. Uh, as we talked about, there are a lot of models and options that will be on the table. And I'm, we've talked about this before. I am fully confident in saying that these athletic departments, whatever the models are, their ultimate goal is to complete these revenue sports seasons before July or June 30th, 2021 to save their budgets and to save their athletic departments. It's a lot unknown, Rob, and, and uh, you know a lot that we're just going to have to. As I said, decisions are just going to have to start being made, uh, even without all the information, or even as people are kind of uncomfortable making those decisions. Came out yesterday that uh, the University of Iowa, over the past week, had tested five people within the athletic department, and four of those came back positive. Of course, those people are now quarantined, and all protocols are being taken. But Rob, the the information I get is just a a, a, a very short press release. It gives that information. Information. It kind of has a, a the, par- the same paragraph on every one about uh, you know taking precautions and quarantine and protocol being followed and all of that. Uh, but I haven't heard or, or seen anything about the methodology or the protocol for testing. Uh, why just five tests last week? Why? How, how did they decide? those five people obviously it it, it seems I, I can assume that it's five people they thought might be positive because four of those came back i mean four out of five is is quite a percentage um what what is it that triggers a test what is it that doesn't trigger a test why are they not testing more people is it because we're in this kind of dead period between the voluntary and the the required uh workouts and practices do you have any information on that have have you heard anything more about that uh what triggers a test why like what is their protocol i guess what is their testing protocol at the university of iowa and and really around the country 
We really haven't been given specifics, Andrew. And as you said, these reports that we're getting every Monday are just more of a general athletic department. We don't know if it's student athletes. We don't know if it's coaches. We don't know if it's administrators. We don't know if it's support staff. We have no idea who these people are that are, you know, that they're reporting are, are as positive tests. So, you know, they're just giving us the basic what their protocol is and the numbers in the entire athletic department. Uh, as you said, um, you know, I'm wondering last week if those tests had anything to do with the fo- football program. I really don't know. Um, as you said, uh, that voluntary conditioning session that the NCAA approved ran June 1st through the 25th. It was in that window. I think I don't I don't think Iowa started exactly on June 1st, but you know, we don't even know if the players went home after that session, if they're still here. You know, maybe some went home and some are still here, but according to you know the 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 calendar that the NCAA laid out, Iowa doesn't go back to weight training, conditioning, and film review until this coming Monday, July the thirteenth. And those are not voluntary; those are mandatory, according to what the NCAA said. Then July twenty fourth is being targeted as the beginning of walkthroughs team meetings and then that goes up to 20 hours a week with coaches and players that this next session that starts next week is eight hours a week of contact between coaches and players um and then on august 7th is is when the ncaa has targeted for the actual start of college football training camp so those are all kind of the benchmark dates for how this is going and i'm just wondering what's going on in this interim period between those the the end of the voluntary workouts, which were June 25th, to the mandatory workouts, which begin July 13th. Where is everybody? Who's getting tested? I mean, there's just we don't know anything that's going on, and it kind of leaves us to to uh, just wonder uh, what measures are being taken to keep people safe. You know, as this virus continues to spread, it's it's going to impact a, a lot of us maybe more closely than it already has, and maybe some people listening have already had very close uh, contact with this virus. Maybe they've they've contracted it themselves or known people who've gotten very sick or or God forbid passed away from this. But like like for me personally even over these last couple of weeks, it's it's really kind of started to hit home uh, and, and affected me in, in ways that, uh, I, not not that I've had it, I, I have not. I have been tested. I got tested a couple of weeks ago and, and tested negative. Um, my my one-year-old daughter had to get tested last week and and that was that was something to kind of deal with and, and consider for the 48 hours that we awaited her results yeah, of wow. uh, you know what does that mean you know who has she been in contact with and I think that's one of the hard things is that the tracing of that so uh, a few weeks ago I got a call uh, and, and I, I feel okay saying his name because he put it out publicly and has been very good about talking about it I think it's important to, to put a face on this for people who who maybe haven't had one but Chris Williams who works here in Des Moines on on KXNO Radio along with me, uh, and I'm the program director at KXNO, so I'm in a, a managerial position here. Um, he he got he got COVID-19. He he felt symptoms on a Saturday, got a fever, had the fever through the weekend. He called me Monday morning to let me know. He got tested Monday morning. That test came back positive on Tuesday. Uh, and at, th- at that point, it was kind of okay. It triggered a bunch of different things here uh, within my my work and within our personal lives. Um, 
who had Chris had contact with. So initially, we had to send out essentially a staff-wide email. Have you had any contact with Chris? What has that contact looked like? When was that contact? Uh, Chris had been in the studio the Thursday before he contacted, uh, before he contracted, uh, before he tested positive. We don't know when he contracted it. That's one of the hard things about this disease. Uh, Thankfully, he showed Mm -hmm. symptoms and then got tested because a lot of times people don't show symptoms and probably never get tested and may pass it along. And luckily, from everything we found, Chris hasn't passed it to anybody. We've all been tested. We all tested negative. Uh, Even his family members have tested negative. So that's been great. But that initial day, it really, it's why we didn't do a podcast, I think, two weeks ago, Rob, because you and I were scheduled to do one. And my day just became contact tracing from Chris Williams. It, it was who has he who has yeah. he been in, who has he been in a room with? What rooms has he been in? Uh, because we couldn't use our studio for about eight uh, about thirty six hours while we had it professionally cleaned uh, before we could let anybody back in there. So then it was kind of juggling. How do we do our radio shows? How do Chris and Ross continue to do their show when they both had to then go on quarantine for fourteen days? So uh, setting them up with studios in their homes to broadcast from. And again, Chris was great about kind of talking about wh- how the the virus impacted him. Um, he he had fever for several days, had really bad body aches, and, and had trouble sleeping for several nights. And still, we're now more than two weeks after uh, he had a positive test. He still is fatigued, um, still gets winded easily, doesn't have a fever or any of the other kind of uh, symptoms anymore, but uh, is still kind of feeling the after effects of that and, and has, still has not been back in the radio station. I haven't seen him uh, in several weeks. Uh, but just to kind of... To get a firsthand uh, experience with, I mean, because then it's it's people you hadn't even known that he had contact with. You know, he had right. he had had a quick meeting with one of our salespeople, and it's like, okay, I, I didn't even know that, but now now we need to let her know and, and anybody she's been in contact with. And I know for him personally, the hardest thing was just kind of interrupting everybody else's life right and and interrupting because now everybody has to get tested we all have to be worried about it and in those hours where be, between getting tested or finding out you've been in contact with somebody and getting your negative test result you have to be very very careful about what you do and how you handle yourself and where you go and who you talk to um and so it, it was good, I think, to get that firsthand experience for me because now I know the next time this happens, and it certainly seems like, Rob, we're, we're not going to a place where this is going to stop happening. Uh, it seems like we're all going to be dealing with this on some level uh, sooner or later. Uh, I'd be shocked if, if Chris is the only member of our staff who ends up contracting this disease. Um, and so it was just interesting to get kind of a firsthand experience of not just the test for myself and what that means for my life and my family, uh, but but my business and, and the, the people I work with every day and, and the facilities and things like that. And I'm talking about a staff of, you know, eight or ten people, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and a business that's been closed for four months and, and there's only been a handful of people here and in a, in a business where we're we're kind of socially distanced as it is. I sit in a different studio than than the guys I work with. I'm in a different room, um, and so to imagine this on a much bigger scale of like a football program and and a, a scale where people are in much closer contact and and dealing with each other a lot more, uh, it's it's really kind of eye opening to see how big this can be when you start having to deal with it. Yeah, and I think that's a really good um, example of you know firsthand account of, of dealing with this. And, you know, I know a a big talking point now is that deaths are down and that's great. That is awesome. And, you know, I think, 
uh, medical people have gotten better. It's a novel virus. It's new, but medical people have gotten better at treating it. Um, but that doesn't mean that people don't get sick. And Chris is a great example of that. I- I'm guessing Chris is probably in his thirties. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to date, but you know, it's not like he's in that target area and he's fatigued, but he's still able to do his job. A college football player or a basketball player that's dealing with this or even like mono, something that just kind of affects you and particularly respiratory. Guys kind of need to be able to breathe to play football (laughs) and basketball and and ladies as well in women's basketball and wrestling. I mean, that's the core of athletics. So there is different there are, you know, differing degrees of how people that catch this thing, you know, what, what their symptoms are. And, you know, just to say, you know, people aren't hospitalized or people aren't dying doesn't mean it's not going to impact yes. what they do, particularly as athletes that have to be in tip, tip top shape and condition to be able to perform. Yes, exactly. I think you're exactly right. And then again, the infectious disease doctor we talked to a couple of weeks ago here on KXNO made that same point and, and really said that uh, kind of an eye-opening thing of this hasn't been around long enough to, for us to understand the long-term uh, impacts of this, the long-term consequences. And as you said, I think when we look at this, it's hard. You have to separate sports from the, the rest of your life. When we look at deaths, of, of course, that's that's an important statistic. And it is a thing to look at as we talk about the country and, and things like that. But when we're talking about uh, sports uh, death is the worst case scenario certainly and, and god forbid if that happens to a college athlete but there are other consequences that come from that and again as, as we talked about an unpaid labor force and and in a lot of things not 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 revenue generating sports not sports where guys are going to get drafted into the nfl we're talking about the you know the olympic sports and the, the non-revenue generating sports and um the 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 kind of health impacts that that these these people can have for the rest of their lives uh, or certainly for a short term period of time mm-hmm. is it worth it to, to bring this stuff back while these these consequences are looming where's the risk and reward in, in a lot of this uh, and that's another aspect that we didn't even touch on there's so many layers to this andrew but you know if the football season gets moved to the spring you know if you're somebody like you know alaric jackson or somebody that's getting ready to be drafted into yeah. the NFL in April, do you play? I mean, I've heard about it on the on a national scale, you know, whether it be Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence or uh, Penny, the offensive lineman for Oregon. But are there guys at Iowa and even Iowa State who say, listen, man, I really love to play my senior season, but um, I've got enough on film and I'm hearing enough from NFL teams that I'm not going to put myself at risk. I'm going to wait for the NFL draft. How does that impact? the sport um you know and i I, and just from a you know from a a local perspective i'm just wondering i've been thinking about this and i still think luca garza is going to come back i really do at least where we stand right now but who knows what happens between now and when he has to make a decision in regards to the college basketball season is it you know is it worth for him to come back um you know if, if it's determined that you know college is going to online classes in November is going to make it so, you know, is going to determine that they can't play college basketball while, you know, um, 
the general student body isn't on campus. And I know there's a spring, you know, there's winter break and, and they're used to this already, but it still can be impacted. So just so many questions with and plenty of local ties to that, too, just in terms of how things will will play out between between now and, and, and next summer. Man, there's so many moving parts. Uh, we, we, we will move on from this uh, for now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I do want to get to some fun football talk uh, before we get out of here, Rob. You, you wrote a cool column kind of ranking the excitement of each game this season. I want to kind of shut off the bad parts of, of everything going <laughs> on and, and just delve into football for a few minutes at the end of this. But we do need to also touch on the other big story uh, within the Iowa football program, and that is the ongoing investigation into, into racial disparities and bullying and uh, however you want to word that into the Iowa football program. Um, I saw Chad Lysicle put out yesterday from the Des Moines Register. He doesn't expect or, or I guess Iowa doesn't expect to get the results of that report this week. Um, we're now just over three weeks from from the time that Gary Barta said weeks, not months, for when we can when we can uh, expect that. Now that that may be six weeks, uh, but uh, hopefully it's sooner rather than later because it, it's it's hard right now, Rob, because Iowa's in a position where they kind of have to be radio silent on a lot, a lot of this stuff, or at the very least put out kind of the same um, generic statement that they have been putting out time after time uh, when new allegations or new stories start to come out, and we've seen that several times over these last couple of weeks. And I understand Iowa's position. They're not going to um, react to a, a a specific allegation right now while this investigation is ongoing. Hopefully, the investigation is going to find a way to include these newer stories or, or these you know more recent allegations, these more recent players. Uh, this this whole kind of. Um, a group of players who uh, who seems to be represented by by this Robert T. Green, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, but uh, nothing as of yet on, on this. And really, I think until we get something from this investigation, and then we can decide, uh, you know, is this enough? Is it far enough? Had, you know, did they release enough? Do we know enough? Uh, are things moving in the right direction? Until we get that investigation, Rob, it's really hard to to have any more clear thoughts on, on what's going on or what's going to happen with the Iowa football program. Yeah, again, like the COVID story, there are just a lot of layers to this story and different tentacles on what's going on here. Um, and, you know, I agree with you in terms of Iowa not being able to really say anything publicly when this investigation is going on. And I, I'm starting to think back to when, when Gary Barta said it was going to be weeks and not months. At that point, there weren't as many stories that have come out. I mean, since that time, which I think was June 15th, we've seen more stories. And it's not just, again, we'll get into Robert T. Green a little bit, but it's not just the group that he's represented, you had Adrian Claiborne come out this past weekend with his, uh, you know, with his story. And there have been other guys away from the Robert T. Green group. For Iowa, it's got to be as thorough as possible. It, you know, the, the, the law firm 
from Kansas City has to be as thorough and as possible and hear as many stories as it can, or it's going to be a bad look for Iowa if it leaves out. Yes guys that are are wanting to tell their stories and i've seen people say well why don't people reach out to the law firm they can do that but these stories are out publicly they're they're easily found and it's going to be incumbent upon this law firm in in representing iowa and iowa should push this as well as the person who's paying this law firm talk to as many of these former student athletes as possible and get their stories so we know that this report is going to be as thorough as possible and in like talk to all the coaches the staff now but previous coaches that were on the staff you got you know i i know we all want this report back uh as quickly as possible so there's some closure to this but it's more important to get it right and to get it fast yes that to me is the most important thing like like you know it's kind of like being in the media and and being somebody that reports news it's great to be the first to get it but you have to be accurate and you have to have the you know the right information and that's what's important here and i'm okay if it doesn't happen until another month from now or two months from now as long as they're doing everything they can they being the law firm to hear as many stories as possible and get the best look view report into what the culture is in the iowa football program yeah this needs to be done right the first time it it can't it it we it needs to be definitive uh when it happens and i think you're exactly right even though i want it done now because i as you said i want closure i want to know right and and i want to be able to to in some ways move on from this one way or the other if that means that you know heads roll and things need to kind of restart and uh and and it's the worst case scenario then then i want that to happen now and if it's if it's the best case scenario and hey you know a lot of this has already uh, begun being fixed and and we're on the right track and you know whatever the case may be i want i want to know that now too uh, but that's because i'm an impatient person and, and i just i just i want i want it now um another aspect of this andrew is when we met with kirk and i believe that was the 12th maybe when he and um Ivory Kelly Martin, Kavon Merriweather, and um, Keith Duncan met with us at the the press conference on the practice field. Um, The indications, and and really from Kirk Ferentz's words, were they were very close to finalizing this this committee of former players that would guide, uh, you know, be a guidance and be a resource for the players that are in the program. And now we're whatever, July, what are we, the July 7th, so going on a month now, and we still have not heard anything about that. I've kind of poked around on that thing, and, and um, they, they've had some difficulties in putting this thing together. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold off on maybe some of the reasons that I've heard why until I'm able to confirm them. Um, but that, would, to me, would have been something that I wanted to get out there as soon as possible as, hey, look, we're taking action. We're ready for change. We're putting um, – uh, you know, components into place to make this program more inclusive. Again, we're almost a month now, and we still have not heard about this committee of former Iowa players that were supposed to be advisors during this thing. So we really haven't heard anything from Iowa in terms of what it's doing to change 
Um, and, and these allegations started to come out on June 3rd from James Daniels. Now we're at July 7th. And the only indication we have is that press conference with Kirk and, and uh, the players saying they had a meeting earlier that week. They hashed things out and Doyle is gone. What else is being done? And I know the investigation is going on and you can't talk about what has happened, but you certainly can talk about what changes are being made and you should be proactive in promoting that. So people know that those changes are happening, not only for parents of student athletes, but for potential recruits just for the in the court of public opinion. I'm not sure what the holdup is there in terms of trying to get out there what you are doing to take. You don't have to wait for the report. You've already acknowledged that there were issues within the program what is being done and another interesting aspect to this andrew is that when gary barda held his press conference on june 15th he referenced that diversity task force report that that um uh you know, indicated some of the same concerns of the student athletes that have come out publicly in the last month. And he said that, hey, we didn't do enough and we didn't do it fast enough. What was done? Hmm. What was done from the spring of and, – and also what's come out since then is James Daniels, when he was back here for the spring semester of 2019, he met with Gary Barta and expressed the same concerns that he's expressed publicly right now what has been done from then and from the recommendations from that task force which are now over a year old what actions were taken within that football program to make sure this wasn't happening again we heard ivory kelly martin come out on june 12th of this year saying that they still felt like they were walking on eggshells they still felt like they were looking over their back until chris doyle was removed last month so we're, even though this task force came back with a report back in the spring of 2019 and James Daniels went to Gary Barta in the spring of 2019, these players still felt during the summer workouts with Doyle in 2019, during the football season, and during the most recent spring period that things were not right in this program. Those are some things, if you're listening to this and what I wrote about, and I know people are trying to tune me out right now, but I work on this story daily, and there are a lot of other media members working on this story daily. There are a lot of questions that need to be asked here beyond what comes back, and hopefully this law firm is looking into some of those questions, not just listening to the player stories. Yeah, we need some tangible tangible things uh, fairly soon here, I think, to, to feel confident and comfortable with with the way the the, the direction the program is headed uh, you know obviously a lot of the chatter has been around Akram Wadley he you know he's, he's one of the big names that have come out more recently uh, and and had some really damning allegations represented by Robert C Green and again uh, a lot has been talked about with him his appearance on on the radio in the Quad Cities last week you know I was super excited Rob when I saw you announce that you had an interview scheduled with Akram Wadley and I was equally disappointed when I saw that that he had postponed that uh, Same. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I really. I, I was excited. And then I was yeah, really I, I really want to hear. I really want to hear him talk, and I, I want to hear a conversation, not not just a statement. I, I want to hear from his mouth. You know what these things are, and, and I want. I honestly, I want some hard questions to be asked of him, and I want. I want to hear what he has to say. Um, 
you know, there, there, there are some contradictions. There are, uh, I think, questionable motives sometimes from, from some things. And it's, it's just hard to, it's hard to square a lot of these things. But you also then wonder, does any of that matter right now? Uh, you know, you had a column uh, this past week on Hawkeye Nation about, hey, right now is just the time to listen, not to judge. Uh, it, it's, it's time to listen. And, and again, I hope all of this is covered in the investigation. I hope they are reaching out to Robert T. Green and, and his, his players and Akram Wadley and, and the other players who have all spoken out as well. Um, but th- that's that's just been a lot of the conversation over the last week or so has been this Robert T. Green and the players he represents and kind of the s- some of the contradictions and some of the motives uh, that, that may or may not be questionable um, you know, behind a, a lot of this maybe more recent kind of uh, sp- spate of allegations. Yeah, and I think all those things are fair and, and should be on the table, Andrew, that, that you mentioned. Um, you know, uh, the the radio station in the Quad Cities that had, and I apologize, I know it's an ESPN affiliate, I don't, I forget the name and the call letters and all that's good radio lingo, uh, but... Uh, you know, he was asked if what the end game is, and I, I thought that point. The point for me is, I think the end game is important when you're talking about what the motives are here. Um, but really, I still think whatever you think of Robert T. Green and his motives, he's not a lawyer. The players and their families would have to do something, you know, beyond him to file a class action lawsuit. But as I said in the column that you referenced, right now, we're just listening to player stories. If there is a motivation or there is a push to litigation, it's up to the law firm in Kansas City that's investigating this story, this situation for a report. They don't have to talk to Robert T. Green. They can, and and maybe they need to talk to him just to get in contact with his, you know, with the group that he's representing. But they they don't have to worry about the motives, or if they do worry about the motives, they can hash that out in questioning these players. They can find out from these players, or you know, is this accurate? You know, you said on such and such a date that you know, on social media that you supported the Iowa program. You said, and I'm talking about, you know, maybe Matt Akram Wadley here, that you wanted your brother to go to Iowa. Why did you say that and then come out later and say that you didn't want to be in the program? What happened in there? And that's a part for an investigator to ask those questions. It doesn't matter what Robert T. Green is doing and maybe what the motivations are there. If the, the law firm that is investigating this can ask those questions of those players if they're given access. Now, if Robert T. Green and the legal – if they have legal counsel that tells them not to talk to the investigators that, uh, from uh, – Kansas City that are looking into this for the University of Iowa, then that's on them. But this stuff can still be investigated beyond what the, you know, litigation or potential litigation may be. And that to me is where the focus is. Um, Because I thought Adrian Claiborne's story or tweet that came out was was really impactful. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he talked and, and he followed that up with some other, you know, people said, well, Adrian, you know, there, some of these players are just whining and after, you know, after the program and Adrian said, no, I don't think they're whining at all. They're telling their stories. That's where the focus should be. And I know I got pushback on my column that, you know, 
the, the, there's a tendency there to, to try to pick apart these stories and, and you're fine to do that. And I think it's human nature to do that and see some contradictions uh, and, and judge credibility. But there is an investigation going on that where these investigators can determine what is factual to the best of their ability. And to me, what my approach to this and what my approach has been from day one is to get the stories out there and to listen to these stories and then let the people that are in charge of looking into these stories investigate. The university certainly has a interest here. They certainly have lawyers. The coaches have lawyers, I'm sure, representing them, whether on their own or through the school. I don't think you should get caught up in who's representing the players or who's in in the group. Let's hear stories on both sides and let the people that are looking into it judge and report on what is factual and what, what isn't to the best of their ability. Well, Sorry, I've been going no, off on a couple of rants here, Andrew. No, I really good. apologize. No, no, no. It's it's well said. I think it's needed to be said. And uh, man, you're you're as embroiled in this, and as you said, you cover it every day, and. Uh and every day. I mean, you may not see stuff on our site or on my Twitter account, but I can guarantee you that every day I'm doing something. It's Maybe it's talking to er- former players. I've had tons of conversations with former players off the record, uh, looking at records, file, filing FOIAs for reports. Um, and and I'm not, I know I know the media is taking a hit on this, not just me, but other people in the media on how this story is being covered. Trust me when I tell you that everybody's doing their job here. And hopefully... I think everybody wants the, the truth and then for the best possible outcome for Iowa football. That's the goal. Yeah. We want people, you know, I think we all, all, you know, all people that are, are decent, Andrew, want the best for Iowa p- football and for everybody in that building to be feel like feel good yeah. feel like okay I, yep. i'm a part of iowa football i don't know why anybody wouldn't want that or or to find ways to 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 uh keep that from happening and i think with this with as complicated as a story as this is and many layers and tentacles that we talked about you you know the focus can get lost and that really was the the point of my column last week is to focus on the stories and what's being told here and then go through the process of finding out what what can be done what was done and what is the best way to move forward well said rob as always keep up the good work on this story and others and of course you can keep following rob at at hawkeynation.com we will keep talking about this for these last uh, 10 or 15 minutes of the podcast, Rob, I want to get into football uh, and, and not, not not racial disparities or COVID-19 or tests or anything like that. Let's just talk about some football. Let's assume that this football season is going to happen as scheduled. Let's assume that everything is, uh, you know, let's wave a magic wand and all of a sudden, you know, COVID-19 disappears and uh, everything is good and, and we're all good. We'll have 12 games this fall, and you've gone through on HawkeyeNation.com, and you've gone through your rankings of the 12 contests uh, from an interest and excitement standpoint. So you essentially have ranked these uh, from from least to most exciting, and we'll st- we'll go in that order, uh, and we'll do all 12 games. We'll start with the fourth game on the schedule. It's against Northern Illinois on September 26th, and this is what you have, Rob, as the least exciting game uh, on Iowa's 2020 football schedule. <laughs> 
Yeah, just not a lot of meat on this bone for no. me, Andrew. And I've had some people on our, our Hawkeye Nation website kind of give their rundown. And, and, and this is obviously opinion, and everybody will have, you know, view this differently. There's some people that, you know, dislike Iowa State more than they like Nebraska or Wisconsin. So the rankings obviously a personal thing and, and will be juggled on that. But, you know, a max school in September, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's the, um, you know, the connection with Jack Heflin and Matt Lorback coming over from Northern Illinois as graduate transfers. But beyond that, man, there's just not a lot of intrigue here. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And I think uh, you, you put you and I as number 11, and I, I agree with that as well. I think that the thing that puts you and I ahead of Northern Illinois is that it's an in-state rival and it's, a, uh, it's, it's the opening game. Yeah, and it's as I wrote David versus Goliath. You've got that, you know, that dynamic that you've got the uh, the Power Five school against an FCS school, and we all see. Um, hopefully, I was hoping not to see this when upsets happen in this regard. It's it's national news. So, when uh, the downside of this is is that it's a Power Five SC, FCS matchup, but there's also that intrigue of you know the David versus Goliath and, and the relationships between coaches and players and yeah. state and fans. Uh, I think that brings a little bit. Yeah, a lot of UNI players who you know upset they didn't get recruited by right. Iowa, mo- most likely. Exactly. Uh, the tenth most exciting game, according to Rob Howe, at Illinois, November seventh. And uh, as you mentioned in the column, you know the basketball rivalry here really st- feels like it's heating up. It, we had a couple of great games last season. Feels like if there is a basketball season, a couple of more great games uh, on the the schedule coming up this year. Uh, but in football, it just it just hasn't been. It's been a one sided, a lopsided rivalry for a long time now. Yeah, and I think that's really something that you need to have. You have to have that animosity built up between, you know, schools and fan bases. And I just don't feel it with Illinois. No disrespect to Lovey, but as I wrote in the column, Iowa's won six in a row, eleven of twelve, and fourteen of the last seventeen. It's just I, Illinois would need to win some of these games, and I know Iowa fans don't need to see that. They want to keep this keep this uh, border. Uh, program border state program down but right now there's just just not a lot of juice there uh, at Purdue November 21st uh, the the ninth most exciting game and uh, been some exciting games with Purdue over the last handful of years uh, definitely a, a team that has Iowa's attention but as you say it's it's in between home games between Nebraska and Wisconsin so uh, that in and of itself may may have it a little less exciting, maybe more dangerous for Iowa, but less exciting on, on the ski and the whole scheme of things. Yeah, this is a classic trap game, Andrew. If you're of the belief that Iowa is a contender in the West Division and Purdue isn't, which I'm not necessarily ready to say that yet, but that's kind of what the view is heading into this season. And as I wrote in the column, this is less of a reflection on Purdue as a program and as a threat to Iowa as it has to do with this is a really tough schedule and there's there's there are quite a few really good games on there that I just they find more intriguing than Purdue. I would put Iowa State a little higher than you do on the list. I know you yeah, would. Part of that is because <laughs> you're, I, I live, you're in Central yeah, Iowa, man. You're in, in the crossroads. Yes, yeah, so exactly. This is this is ground zero for the Cyhawk rivalry. So, uh, so here in Iowa City, I don't get a lot of that. Yeah. So I, but I certainly understand. But you know, and and then also I think that for Iowa fans here, it's it's this point of pride that we haven't lost to Iowa State in a while. Matt Campbell has never beat Kirk Ferentz, and so uh, excitement maybe not, but definitely like some pride on the line here. And I. Iowa State's a good program that that's poised to have another good season, and even though it's a non-conference game, uh, it, it could, you know, in part dictate where at least the first month of the season goes. 
Yeah, and I wrote on there, this is a tough one for me to rank because just because I know how much it means to so many people, but I also know it's not really a factor in the big picture for either program in terms of winning a conference and maybe going on to bigger and better things in the season. But then I also understand the, you know, the water cooler, you know, if you're an Iowa fan and you work with Iowa state fans (laughs) and you got to go in the work and deal with these people for a week or vice versa, that is certainly a lot of motivation for your team to, (laughs) to win having to hear that. I don't get, and again, this is a personal ranking. I don't get that as much in Iowa City because there aren't a lot of Iowa State. They're they're here, and I have friends that are and see the different you know flags and, and things that are in you know neighbors' houses. But obviously, the it's proportionally Iowa City is. Uh, yeah, is is heavy Hawkeye country. <laughs> it's been a fun five years, and and you're just kind of bracing for the the day that inevitably Iowa State will win another one of these, and you got to kind of eat crow for for an entire year. Uh, number seven, Michigan State, and I think as you note in the column, uh, without Mark D'Antonio there, it's it just kind of loses a lot of that a lot of that luster uh, between Iowa and Michigan State, at least for now. Yeah, and we had you know the the game in in, in uh, East Lansing when when seven got six with McNutt and those both teams were really competitive here for the last you know ten to fifteen years since Dan Dan Antonio uh, Antonio came on um, you know the 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 game where the Iowa fans were charging fake injuries for Michigan State on there's just there are so many great memories of this rivalry when D'Antonio was around and now. You hope the fire remains. They they recruit a lot of the same players, but with him leaving, it's just yeah, it's just not the same. All right, we get to the big six here now. This is a this is a good final six or most exciting six games on the schedule. It starts with Northwestern at number six on your list. Uh, of course, Pat Fitzgerald, uh, a guy that no Iowa fan uh, is a fan of. Um, it's, He's it's denied just, that he doesn't like Iowa too, yeah, which is yeah, funny. I'll believe because that because it's out there that he does. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but yeah, always an interesting game. Always an important game. Yeah, and, I, and this again is speaks more to uh, the the teams that I have in the top five than yeah. than this not being a game that people are going to be really interested in watching. And I think a little bit for me, what dropped it was last year's game, which was just real. It was yeah. just bad football it on was. Northwestern's part, and it was it was tough to watch. I mean, the, the Wildcats were so anemic on offense. It was like I would just punted just to make sure that <laughs> that you know gave them no chance to win. It was one of those games where you look at the opponent and you're like, man, they, they really have no chance to win this game. Patrick Ram or uh, Peyton Ramsey coming over, guy who had a lot of success as a quarterback at North at uh, Indiana, is over is a graduate transfer. To me, that's a really interesting storyline, Andrew, because Northwestern still had a good defense last year and and had good running backs, just awful quarterback play. If it gets decent quarterback play this year. Could be an intriguing team in the Big Ten West. You've got at number five Nebraska, and this is a game that I think uh, should be higher on this list. Not and and not because it. I'm not saying you should have it higher on this list. I'm saying these two teams should have a a bigger rivalry than they have. Maybe this game should be more important than it has been over the last handful of years. And and it's a big part of that is Nebraska not holding up its end of the bargain. This this just hasn't been uh, for the division. It just hasn't had kind of those stakes yet. I think it. I think it'll hopefully get there, and I think when it does get there, uh, this will be one of the most fun rivalries in college football. But in, until we get there, it's just it just isn't going to to, to hit the Wisconsin and, and Minnesota uh, 
you know excitement level that for for Iowa fans. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is on Nebraska. This yeah. isn't on Iowa no. that I have them here. And um, I, I know other people are going to have Nebraska higher just because for the hate factor. And uh, I can certainly uh, understand and appreciate that. For me, the interesting aspect of this is when um, – Eichhorst said after 2014 that we have to judge where Iowa is as a program. Well, since then, Nebraska hasn't been a factor, and Nebraska hasn't made this rivalry anything of note. And Iowa has pretty much taken this thing and ran with it, and now Nebraska needs to flip that because those those early years of, uh, of this trophy yeah. in the game, when, when Nebraska first came and it was going back and forth, it was starting to go there. You could kind of feel it going there, and then pff, it just fell flat because Nebraska just hasn't been a, a factor or a threat in the division or against Iowa in the last, whatever it is, five or six seasons. And then you top it off, Andrew, it's no longer a Black Friday game this season, so that takes more yeah. luster off the game no for me, because it's, it's going to be a, a game in November. Yeah, I really really hate that they went away from that. Glad they're going to get back to it at some point here. What, in a couple of, a couple of seasons, I think they're getting back to that. So, uh, I, I think that's good for the rivalry, and, and again, hopefully at some point it will become a big rivalry. But right now, that is on Nebraska. Uh, at number four, though, you've got, you've got kind of the flip situation. Uh, this is on Iowa. The, this Penn State game. Um, uh, Penn State's won six in a row and it's not because they're uh, head and shoulders better than Iowa, I don't think. It's because they've made the handful of plays and the handful of games that have made the difference. We've seen it several times in a row now uh, that Iowa is close to winning these games, has them in hand, it feels like at times, and then gives up the big play or can't make the big play, whatever the case may be. Uh, but to, to have lost six in a row to Penn State is, is almost unfathomable uh, from where Ferentz was against Paterno early in, in his career and just how close these games have been. Uh, but I think an, another intriguing matchup is, as Penn State comes to – or it, this is at, at Penn State on October 17th. Yeah, and I'm not going to get into the logistics <laughs> of uh, traveling to uh, State College during a <laughs> yeah. pandemic. But we'll see. If the <laughs> – I know people are getting mad and rolling their eyes right now, but yeah, I, I you pretty much nail you know hit the nail on the head. Iowa needs to uh, Iowa needs to win this game and, and get you know back some of what it's lost in momentum to Penn State and. This is a big game because, you know, Penn State's a national brand and probably will be ranked, and Iowa has a chance to make a statement here in a road game. Since that 2009 game when Claiborne blocked the punt and took it back, they've Jeez. lost three in a row in State College. So, yeah, this is a game where, uh, you know, it definitely could be a defining game in this season. All right, moving into the uh, the, the top three here. At Ohio State, it's been a little while since we've seen Ohio State. What 2017? A lot of people forget I would kick the absolute crap out of Ohio State, 55 <laughs> to 24, uh, in in that game in Iowa City. I have a feeling Buckeye fans won't have forgotten that either, as as Iowa travels to uh, Columbus, Ohio, on October 10th. Yeah, and the interesting thing that I noted on this one, Andrew, is that um, Ohio State will also be coming off a bye week at home oh, against great. the team that beat it 55 to 24 oh, awesome. a few years ago. Awesome. And like, obviously the faces have changed <laughs> here, uh, but I'm sure that the Ohio state coaches will be telling the cautionary tale of, you know, 
you want to take this team lightly? Let's put this film on. Let's let's see what happens here if uh, if we do not play our best against the team that's certainly capable of beating us. So. To me, without question, the toughest game on the schedule. The top two are both division games. They're both against rivals, uh, one of which Iowa has had a lot of success against recently and one of which Iowa has not. We'll start with number two, the, the second most exciting game, according to Rob Howe, for Iowa football this season at Minnesota, September 18th. Yes, that's a Friday night in Minneapolis for Floyd of Rosedale. It's Iowa's third game. It comes just on the heels of the, of the Cyhawk game. Uh, this is a tough spot for Iowa, who I, I think often needs to kind of uh, have a few weeks to, to get their feet under themselves, especially in a season where uh, the, the offseason has been so interesting and, and disjointed, and, and we don't know what these next two months are going to look like heading up to the season, a season where Iowa's breaking in a new quarterback uh, and, and a Minnesota team that uh, had a great season last year that was spoiled by the Hawkeyes and, and is certainly going to be looking to, for some revenge and, and to to win a big trophy game. There's a lot of intrigue with this Minnesota game, and man, this this could be really become a rivalry that 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 again becomes a lot of fun between Iowa and Minnesota. Yeah, Floyd or Rosedale, man. You can throw that in there. And, you know, like you mentioned, the Friday night on a short week after Iowa State, Minnesota's coming off a home game against Tennessee Tech. Uh, Iowa's won five in a row in this series. Uh, P.J. Fleck knows that he needs to beat Iowa to take the next step with his program. This is an important game for his fan base, for Iowa's fan base. And now in the context of the Big Ten West division, because I think you could make an argument that both of these teams are contenders to to challenge Wisconsin for that division and oh yeah as you also touched on first road game in the you know for Spencer Petrus uh in his college career so uh yeah definitely uh definitely uh an important game and one that I think a lot of people are looking forward to and that leaves just one and it's uh it's my my least favorite team in in college football <laughs> I absolutely would you have them would you have this number one I think I would yours? yeah I think I would partially because of where it is on the schedule now as as the final game it's the Saturday after Thanksgiving it takes that spot of that kind of Nebraska game whereas the Nebraska game was on Black Friday this will be the Saturday uh but but so much could be on the line this is one of those games that, uh, much like we've hoped for this Nebraska game the last couple of seasons, I hope that the West Division title is on the line here. I hope that uh, the winner of this goes to the Big Ten Championship game. This game against Wisconsin, a team that has just had Iowa's number for the last decade, a team that for so long, and a a program that for so long, really an athletic department, Rob, that for so long Iowa and Wisconsin have kind of mirrored each other, and recently Wisconsin has just had that leg up. they've, they've, They've They've uh, been able to to win these games, uh, and and it's just been devastating as an Iowa fan to to kind of look in the mirror and see a team that's a little better than you. Uh, I feel like this is probably how a lot of uh, maybe Minnesota and Nebraska and to some extent Iowa State look at Iowa. Like, man, we're we're so close and we're so similar, and they keep beating us. This is how Iowa fans feel about Wisconsin. God, it would be sweet to get a win against them this year. That's a good point. And to uh, accentuate the reason why I have this, number one, I will quote the legendary Ric Flair. To be the man, you got to beat the man. And Iowa has lost four in a row to Wisconsin and seven of the last eight dating back to 2010. That is 
the hurdle. That is it the is. elephant in the room. And Wisconsin is going to Rose Bowls and winning divisions and going to Big Ten championship games. And Iowa has been watching that happen against, you know, the school in the conference that is the closest, easiest trip drive-wise. These guys, you know, kind of tied at the hip because Iowa had the advantage in – the previous decade and won two Big Ten championships earlier in that decade, hasn't won a championship in the Big Ten since 2004. Iowa has to overcome Wisconsin to get to where it wants to go. And another chance, Saturday after Thanksgiving, in Kinnick Stadium, this, you know, at this point, Spencer Petrus is going to be a seasoned through an entire season. Yep. This this is the spot where you gotta beat them, man. You've got if you want to win this division, you gotta win this game. There it is. There's the top, I guess, all 12 games of the Iowa football season. Hopefully, the football season we have, and hopefully, all 12 games and all 12 opponents will be there this fall. Uh, that was fun, man. That Wasn't was, it man. talking football, ah, man? It was God, great. I needed it was great. that. Yes, yes. Well, let, let's try to do that in every <laughs> podcast. We'll find something like that to kind of end each podcast with uh, to, to get away from some of these heavy topics. Rob, uh, I know you got a lot coming up on Hawkeye Nation. What should people be looking out for this next week? Yeah, I'm going to try to do another prospect podcast, maybe a podcast. We had a, a podcast last winter um, just talking kind of about um, what he's got going on and also his view and his relationship with Kirk Ferentz. So trying to do a lot of that from the podcast perspective. we got some recruiting stuff going on, some – this Gunner Helm is a tight end from Colorado who played high school ball with Alex Padilla, the backup quarterback at Iowa. I'm trying to, I'm waiting for him to get back to me for an interview. He's one of the. It's interesting, Andrew, that, uh, and I know we, we want to close this podcast out, but recruits are starting to take because the for those that don't know, the dead period has been extended through August, meaning that you can't visit campuses to meet with coaches and go through facilities, but there is no law or rule that you can't go to the campuses or go to these towns. And we saw that with um, uh, the recent quarterback commit from Ohio. Why am I forgetting his name? Uh, Joey, um, what the heck was his name? Joey Lapis. Lapis, I forget how you pronounce his last name, but he came here and did one of these visits and ended up committing to Iowa. Well, it's Gunnar Helm, tight end out of Colorado, who's one of their top tight end targets. Um, he came in yesterday and did the what they're doing is they're just kind of checking out town, going, you know, talking to people in town, going around campus, looking at the stadium, doing all that stuff. That's kind of what recruits have been left to do now. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to catch up with him and see what he thought about his new the new campus visits in you know with COVID-19 uh, and then we'll also track down some other things and uh, I got good reception on, on this this story that I, I just that we just talked about ranking uh, the football teams I'm going to proceed Andrew with us that there's going to be a football season and I want to do some more preview things. So hopefully we'll, people will come to the site and, and see some content about looking forward to the football season. Let's just yes. kind of proceed like it's going to happen. Yeah. And if it doesn't, we'll adjust from there. Absolutely. I love it, Rob. Thank you as always, man. This was fun, especially to, uh, to close it out with some, uh, some real football talk, man. I always enjoy this and, uh, and we'll get together again next week. Sounds good, Andrew. Good to talk, man. All right. Thank you for listening. Go Hawks. 